I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with Cody Cornell. Cody is the founder and CEO of Swimlane. Cody is responsible for the strategic direction of Swimlane and the development of its security operations management platform. Collaborating with industry-leading technology vendors, he works to identify opportunities to streamline and automate security activities, saving customer operations costs and reducing risk. In 2011, Cody co-founded Phoenix Data Security, Inc., a focused cybersecurity professional services organization. Prior to Phoenix Data Security, he began his career at the U.S. Coast Guard and spent 15 years in IT security, including roles with the U.S. Defense Information Systems Agency, the Department of Homeland Security, American Express, and IBM Global Business Services. Cody has presented at information security forums such as the Secret Service Electronics Crimes Task Force, the DHS Security Subcommittee on Privacy, in National Public Radio, as well as many other industry organizations such as ISACA and ISSA. In this episode, we discuss his information security start, mentors he has had along the way, why he's building a business in Colorado, founding an information security company and the problems he's trying to solve, cybersecurity automation, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Cody, thanks for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? Pretty good. Thanks. Well, great. Well, I'm sitting in your beautiful offices here in uh, kind of between Denver and Boulder. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm in Boulder and have my offices in Denver, so I've, I've been here for about a year. But uh, how did you end up with a company in Denver, Boulder area? Yeah, so I mean, we actually kind of started everything in uh, well DC and then into Phoenix, and then uh, as we kind of moved towards uh, scaling the organization, we kind of strategically looked around the country for, you know, which cities would kind of help us help us scale from a recruiting perspective, from a cost perspective, uh, from a financial and capital raise perspective, and um, really expensive to move to the Bay or DC or Boston or New York, and so we started looking around. We looked at Austin, we looked at Denver, uh, we looked at Portland, and we kind of saw uh, you know logarithm and paying as kind of organization that have scaled uh, pretty capital efficiently. And they were also throwing off a lot of really good product security talent, um, you know, and from a size and scale perspective, that was really attractive for us. We'd already recruited uh, one of our uh, staff at that point, uh, David Pack, who was the, used to be the director of labs at Logarithm, uh, come on, he's our VP of ops now, uh, field ops. And, you know, it was kind of a natural progression for us to kind of move up here and, and take advantage of, you know, the great organizations those two companies have, have put together. Uh, you know, recruiting's hard and getting good people, uh, I'll take advantage of it. Uh, and I know I don't make friends when we, we pick people off from uh, time and time again. Again, but uh, you know, I, I think overall it's good for the ecosystem, and um, hopefully we can all smile about it and share beers and no no, no hurt feelings. So. Well, yeah, I, I've had <laughs> both James Carter and, and Rob Rig Rob Rig on, on my podcast too, and you know, they you know, there's there's that. I think there's a friendly competition for talent because I think Rob ended up getting. Um, Rob Reck, I said I was Rob Reck from Ping ended up grabbing somebody uh, that was coming off of like a logarithm thing, and James said, "Hey, you gonna be got room for an intern?" I tried to grab him, and there's always a quick talent, but I would definitely say here it's it's definitely less cutthroat than what I've experienced in the Bay Area and New York City. Um, 
and there's definitely more of a friendly camaraderie here. And I think that's at least that's what I'm finding my last year here. Has that been kind of your experience that there's definitely more of a healthier ecosystem? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I Colorado in general, we want to see other organizations succeed. I think like a lot of other you know cities in the country, they see cybersecurity as an economic development mechanism. Um, so you know there's a lot of you know push for organizations to you know scale their organizations in particular metro areas. And I think Denver's doing a good job. I think uh, Governor Hickenlooper with the you know National Cybersecurity Center in Colorado Springs and uh, you know some of the local VCs that have invested in local organizations have you know given us a, a real foothold. And I think we're you know we're starting to move in the right direction. I, you know, everybody wants to move as fast as possible, but that, you know, it takes time. It takes work, you know, yeah. wasn't, wasn't built in a day. No, definitely. And that's, it's funny. I, I've just, I, I was employee zero in the Denver area for my new company. We've now scaled to five people in six months Wow! in, in cyber. And, you know, it's definitely noticed it's, it's a great place to kind of, uh, raise a cybersecurity family. I mean, yeah. it's got a lot of talent, but you, 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 you again, didn't start here. You, your, your background even goes back to military and, and, and uh, I believe Coast Guard, correct? Yep. So I spent five years in the Coast Guard, uh, was technically, you know, trained as an electronics technician, but, uh, started doing, you know, help desk work and IT support. And someone found out I knew what Solaris was. And uh, that was kind of a, ended up doing mostly IT work in the last couple of years that I was in the service. Um, and then while I was also in the service, started working part-time. Uh, you know, I was in DC, so you have access to all the kind of federal contractors and things like that. So I continued to do that work on the, at night and on the weekends. And that was really kind of how I got my foot in the door into the, you know, the broader system administration and eventually IT security space. Like, what was that kind of tipping point that got you more to the security narrow discipline? Um, so I was working help desk at at the night in DC, and I uh, started working with some folks that were responsible for doing uh, the hardening. So uh, if you're familiar with the, the DoD space, they like they call it the STIG. I can't even remember what the acronym stands for, uh, Technical Implementation Guide. And, uh, you know, that was what I was doing. I was helping people do this dig for the Solaris boxes. And, you know, vulnerability assessment was kind of falling out back when we used to use, you know, uh, ISS scanner and Harristat and all these kind of old school vulnerability scanners. And that was kind of my first foray into security and just kind of kept trying to move in that direction. It was it was always interesting for me. So, so after the military, they kind of walked me out of that. So then, then you ended up more in the professional services space, I think from what I saw with some of different defense contractors. Yep, exactly. So my, my part-time job while I was in the Coast Guard was working for General Dynamics, uh, and that was in the intelligence space. Uh, and then I started working for a company called uh, BAE Systems. So they actually were responsible for some of the broader DOD programs you know, for all the branches of military. So for those folks that uh, you know did uh, cybersecurity work in the you know early 2000s, uh, so there was the SCCVI program, which was patch management, mm -hmm. uh, and the vulnerability management and host-based intrusion prevention programs. Uh, those were all programs that were run out of BAE. Uh, so I got a lot of exposure to you know doing doing those type of projects at scale, which was was really good exposure for me. Nice. And then, so was it around? I think it was around 2011. You then went out and did uh, Phoenix Data Security. So you just kind of said you're going to plant your own flag and go out there and give it a shot. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I, I spent some time, you know, helping people build SOC. So I worked inside the American Express SOC. Um, I helped uh, build a SOC for a component of DHS, which was uh, when I worked at IBM. Um, you know, and, and really enjoyed that work. I like. You know, building the teams. I liked uh, building policy and procedure. I liked doing integration work, uh, which, you know, obviously relates a lot to what we're doing here at Swimlane. But, um, you know, in, in 2010, decided, you know, I was going to plant my own flag and go out and start a consulting practice and, and did that. Uh, built some privacy and data loss prevention programs in the DOD space and, um, you know, just 
you know, that was kind of where we started seeing this kind of same problem over and over again, which was kind of why we decided to start building a product to, to solve for that. Yeah, because I think if I, if I kind of, I snapped this off the website that said, you know, Swimlane is a security operations automation platform that's centralized in an organization security alerts, automates resolution, dynamically produces metrics-based dashboards and reports. So that, that's a mouthful. Right. But what is the problem that you're trying to solve? So, I mean, I think there's a lot of vendors in the space that are kind of beating the not enough talent drum, uh, too many alerts, too many point solutions. How do you integrate them? Um, you know, how do I have a system of record for the fact that I did what did the followed the process and procedure that I said I would? Um, you know, how do I capture capture metrics for our leadership? How do I track what's going on from a technology and personnel perspective? What are we doing well? What are we not doing well? So, kind of all of that encapsulates the the bottleneck that becomes the people component and the process component of doing security operations um, and there's been you know I think a lot less innovation in that space and there has in kind of threat detection and identification yeah I mean it seems like that that's kind of been the hot thing is everything it's, uh, who knows what's gonna be at RSA this year but the last couple years definitely been you know threat detection next-gen x-gen endpoint and all these different things but it still comes down to the point of in the end there's a lot of data to sort and aggregate through and how do you do that in the shortest amount of time yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you have all this detection and monitoring apparatus. I mean, some organizations have dozens of technologies, uh, but at the end of the day, all those tasks, all those audit requirements, all those alerts, all those phishing emails, they all funnel to individuals who are responsible for triaging them. And I think that in and to itself is, you know, is, is a bottleneck and we need to figure out how to, how to kind of break that free and allow people to focus on things that are more interesting from a morale perspective. No one gets into security to create tickets and send out emails. It's not any fun. Uh, but also just so you're, you know, you're spending a lot of money on those resources let's make sure they're doing things that are as valuable as possible so it's, it's more about leveraging the existing talent you have than you know just adding on another solution right yeah i think you know it's how do you provide a force multiplier, right? I mean, yeah. you want to make sure that you're getting as much out of the investment in both people and technology uh, in order to do that you need to be able to you know take advantage of the capabilities that are available and, you know so that you see a lot of the capabilities are kind of not uh leveraged because it just takes time to, from an administration and engineering perspective, to you know, fully utilize all those capabilities. And then from a staff perspective, if you're moving from one thing to the next as fast as possible because you're trying to meet an SLA or some type of regulatory requirement or something like that, you're not spending that the time to do that in-depth investigation that you'd probably like to be doing. Yeah, yeah, that's always it's, it's funny. You know, we talk about that a lot. It's like we spend so much time, I've talked about some of the folks on the podcast, just even normalizing the data. And then by the time you do that, you're almost too tired to even look for the things you should be looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So do you see the things like, you know, and certainly like AI and machine learning become the big buzzwords, but what does that mean to what you're trying to do and what you think would actually help shape the industry to make some of your goals effective? Yeah, I think, you know, to, say, to your point, I mean, buzzwords, right? It's, it's easy to throw those things out there. But there's, there's analytics, you know, and then there's some of the machine learning and some of the kind of uh, other learning things that we can do. We look at things like classification of alarms. So instead of using kind of Boolean logic associated with an alarm saying, does it contain this string or does it, you know, meet these particular parameters, uh, looking at that kind of more intelligently and saying, this is this type of alarm based on this, you know, learned data set. And then I'm going to map that to a particular set of actions or a workflow or a playbook um, based on some type of recommendation engine as opposed to saying, again, a static mapping, a one-to-one, -one. it contains X, do Y. So that's, I think those are some of the places where you're seeing people apply that type of uh, learning to this use case. Uh, I think the trick is always, you know, you have to have a high quality 
you know, data set in order to do that. And we're talking about, you know, security's dirty laundry and not everybody wants to share. So you have to be kind of realistic in, you know, what you do from an expectations perspective on saying, hey, I'm going to provide this. So. Well, does that, does that also fall into any kind of the you know, threat intelligence sharing? I mean, do you find that there's things that you guys are finding that are patterns or heuristics and behavior things that then can be say, wow, this can be applied to a lot of different areas? Yeah, I think, you know, the... The automation play that I think is most applicable to threat intelligence is, you know, one is, you know, you're getting this huge amount of information in. Um, a lot of people are feeding that into their SIM or their endpoint uh, technology to do detection. And, you know, that that's good. Uh, you can also leverage that in lots of other places if you have the automation capability to do that in real time. Um, but I think more interestingly, you see people who are taking uh, in alarms and they, they want to take that information and carve out all the indicators and then get that back up to their threat intel platform. Uh, but that's time consuming, right? So if I have to, if I have 100 alarms I got to do today, I'm probably not going to take the time to normalize those IOCs and get them you know, up to the tip and do all the things that I know I should be doing, but I don't have time to do. So I think that's one thing that automation enables is you're able to kind of curate this this really uh, organization-specific uh, intelligence information, which is really valuable. And then from a sharing perspective, if you're actually accumulating, you know, legitimate in intelligence that's happening inside of your environment that has contacts, I think that has more value than just, you know, slamming with a bunch of atomic IOCs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, uh, you've also recently received some funding. I mean, so that now you kind of now step definitely your CEO, leader of an organization. Does that still allow you and afford you enough time to do some of the technical hands on the keyboard type of work that you maybe enjoyed growing up with this stuff? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, the short answer is, uh, you know, it's, 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 and honestly, you, you probably don't have as much time as you want. You get to watch kind of the macro trends. You get to talk to your customers about what they're doing, what's working, what's not. I mean, obviously, you, you see a lot of things that you've worked on, but uh, the space moves so very fast. Um, you know, we're very, you know, fortunate to have some really capable people on the sales engineering and professional services side. So, you know, I, I look at the things that they're doing and just kind of keeping, uh, keeping pace with uh, the number of investigation resources at your disposal and the, the things that are out there that people are using to make determinations on go, no, go. Is this, is this known bad? Is this known good? Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it's a really fast moving target. And you know, I just, I, I honestly can't keep up on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, I really rely on the, the team that we have and they do a great job of kind of keeping up what's going on. And also, you know, keep their, their skills are a lot sharper than mine. I wouldn't put myself behind a keyboard. It, I'd have to take three to six months. Yeah. So, so you know, there's, there's obviously everybody thinks, hey, this is, this is an easy path. I, because I think everybody uh, that you talk to at one point in security or another says, you know, why don't you go out and do your own thing? But that's that's not always easier done than said. Um, what would be some advice you would give to somebody to say, hey, if you're going to be a founder, here's some of the pitfalls that you have to look out for? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things is, you know, I think people that aspire to have their own organization, you know, I'd like to think, you know, they've, they've done well in their career, they, they've been very successful, um, they want to kind of parlay that into, you know, their own thing. Uh, one of the things that I learned really hard was, you know, I'd like to think that I did a fairly good job in some of my previous roles. Um, to go into a situation where you just deal with rejection on a day-to-day -day basis over and over again, uh, you know, kind of being told you know what you're doing or you you know this isn't a thing or why would you do that, hasn't someone done that already, like you do that for a long period of time. That, that's hard for someone who's used to kind of getting getting things done and being happy with the work work product they're creating in a you know a standard employment role to go to the spot where you're like 
you know, basically failing on a regular basis. That, that's hard. I mean, that's, that's kind of a big, big pill to swallow. Um, so that, you know, get ready for that. Um, I think the other thing is make sure that you, 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 you go after something that's uh, small enough that you can do, uh, but tangible enough to show value. And I think that's really hard. Uh, in a hindsight, I mean, I think one of the things that we probably shouldn't have done that we did was we took a four-person organization with no funding and said, we're going to build an enterprise product. Like, you just don't do that. Like, that, that's, that's crazy. So, um, you know, thankfully, we're able to kind of find our way through that. Uh, definitely some pitfalls along the way. But I think it's a lot, I think you can find success a little bit easier, a little bit, le- a little more painlessly. Uh, if you pick something smaller that you can show traction on, uh, that, you know, you can show scale with, that it doesn't take quite as much to get off the ground. Got so, it. yeah. I mean, was, was there any one of those moments that you really look back and said that, you know, as much as it, it was a tough lesson and it sucked, was, was a kind of one of those moments that, well, I'm glad I went through that. Yeah, I mean, I think we've made some really hard decisions in building our product. I mean, we built our product for, for scale from the very beginning. I mean, it had been very easy to, to, you know, make it as a virtual machine or, you know, kind of some type of appliance like that that didn't have, you know, a distributed database or ability to scale the kind of workers that we do all these jobs with. And it would been much easier to just kind of put it all in one and say, you know, just give us more memory and compute on, on this box and that's how you scale. But, you know coming out of the environments that I worked in, that just isn't acceptable. If you don't have high availability and disaster recovery and scalability and the distribution of web content through CDN and all of these things that people expect in an enterprise product, you just, you can't get into those accounts. So it was hard. It was the, it was the right decision. It was a hard decision. Yeah. 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 So. Gotcha. So, you know, what, I guess now, what, where do you see the business going and the industry? Like where, where do you kind of try to align yourself with like maybe the next, it's hard to say five years now in this industry, but yeah. even like a year or two years from now. Yeah, I think there there's an appetite within the community to kind of change what has kind of been the historic model. So historically, we've had one organization versus all the adversaries that decided to, you know, put focus in our direction. And I think with threat intelligence and I think with uh, the ability to share content on these platforms, there's this ability to do kind of a collaboration uh, with organizations. And we've seen that people want to do this. I mean, th- I think threat intelligence kind of proved this path. But I think course of action is the kind of the next phase for that. So I, I really think that the community model for the sharing of content turns it into many versus many versus kind of one versus many mm-hmm. and allows organizations to learn from each other, to kind of level up, give ourselves the ability to kind of do more with less, but also do more as a community. Uh, even though we might compete in the market space, I think as a security community, we'd like to work together and we'd like to you know continue to enable that. Yeah. So. And definitely, you know, you've, you've kind of contributed back to the community yourself. I mean, as where do you I mean, certainly talked about this in the pod and on this podcast before and we've talked about being on other podcasts here in, in Colorado but Colorado has certainly has a good community and particularly in the Denver area have you found that the security community in general has been something that you've been able to leverage your relationships to be able to even just build a business in general um yeah I mean I, I won't claim to be the world's best networker I mean there's yeah. there's definitely folks that do that better but I think the both the business climate and the security climate is enabling right I mean if you look at the Blackstone Entrepreneurship Network from a business side they're very supportive of Colorado companies you see a lot of CEOs uh both security and non-security giving back and and really serving in those mentorship roles um you see you know again we're talking about the National Cybersecurity Center and the state and the Office of Economic Development getting CEOs together to talk about you know how do we perpetuate what we think is a good thing So, yeah, I think the state is being as as enabling as it possibly can. I mean, uh, you know, as entrepreneurs, there's always, you know, more, better, faster. Like, we want all all of the above, but you also got to realize, you know, you got to, you're talking about, you know, getting organizations to change habits, and that's always hard. 
It is, yeah. I mean, it's, it seems a lot of this ultimately comes down to kind of both on the <laughs> business side, but also on the security side, is, is behavior change is, becomes a bigger, a bigger issue. But a lot of it kind of goes back to some what we talked about before. It's also a lot of, a lot of the automation of how you can um, kind of reduce some of that fatigue by having some of the automation to anticipate certain behaviors and do that. Do you see automation continuing in general outside of what we said about just ML and machine learning? But just the idea that I think seems to be the gold standard. A lot of the frameworks you look for, whether it be NIST or some of those, strive towards automation, strive towards automation. Um, isn't an achievable goal for, you know, say, small, medium-sized organizations to say, geez, I just don't have that enterprise security budget. Right, I think so. I mean, I think the, you know, the licensing model for products, you know, we see them going into that small, medium enterprise. Um, we see that, you know, that shared content concept might allow organizations that don't have dedicated security staff or security engineering staff to take the best practices from maybe larger organizations or people who are just, you know, very passionate about it and want to share that content and taking it into their environment so that they can, you know, get those best practices with maybe not having all the resources that, you know, a big bank or a large uh, federal government organization has. So. Yeah, I think absolutely. It's definitely become more because you know, reminded us even to date myself. I remember in, in the '90s where I would say, "No, we can't. The small business can't put in networks. That's such a big enterprise thing." But then, everybody has networks now. Everybody right. has one. So it seems to be that the a lot of the security products are making their way down into that that market that they can be, uh, you know, something that people can achieve. You know, whether it be logging or detection, things that a lot of small businesses for years said they could never have. Right. Okay, so in in, in what you want to do uh, with the business, is it is it something that you think that you can just grow here? Are there other areas outside of even the region or the marketplace that you want to kind of achieve? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from an appetite perspective, there's obviously an international appetite for, you know, products like these, right? We're, we're not alone in that. I mean, we have customers that are both in Australia and Europe, and we're talking to folks in the Middle East and uh, APAC and things like that. So, I mean, there, there's absolutely an appetite for this to be an international thing. Um, you know, from a vertical perspective, our DNA is security, um, but we've built an automation platform. So you see a lot of people kind of taking those uh, adjacent use cases around, you know, IT ops automation and dev, DevOps types of automation and things like that as use cases the platform supports, um, which is really interesting. I mean, that's one of the nice things that we like about the way that it was built is that we don't really bookend what you can and can't do with the product. Uh, and we see people, you know, implementing really, really interesting use cases that uh, we had never thought of. So yeah. Yeah. it's kind of nice when the customers come back to you and say, hey, I don't know if you thought about this, but we're using your product for this. Right. I mean, we see it all the time. I and mean, we had a customer come back and say, hey, we were watching, you know, Pastebin for all the credentials dumps and we parse it. And if one of them is ours, we, you know, we kick off a workflow process. And you're like, wow. That, I mean, that we, and then they had dedicated staff that would do that. So to see somebody, you know, basically take a, what was probably a very mundane and not very fulfilling task, drive it into an, an automation, but still be able to provide kind of that real time, you know, uh, protection against, you know, a credentials loss is, 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 it's gratifying. It's, they're using the product the way it was designed, but not in a way that we had originally conceived. Sure. So, yeah. So now that you've you know, kind of achieved this level of success of building a business, have some, some aspirations, you, know, you then have to talk about just you know, having a good workforce and staff around you. Have you found the, uh, I guess the role of being a mentor something rewarding as you try to say, hey, look, there's all the things I've learned in my career. How do you kind of bring somebody up? Yeah, I'm, I know it's always hard to, you know, consider yourself a mentor. I feel like I'm still learning a lot. Um, and you know, that's, that's, I, I'd be happy to do it. I mean, I don't, not a ton of free cycles on my side at this point, but you know, ha happy to help where I can. Uh, I, d I don't know that I've got 
I think it's been more ad hoc mentorship than it's been kind of formal mentorship. I think I've done a lot more around like career mentorship than I have around like building a business. I still, you know, personally feel like I have a lot more to prove before I can tell somebody I can be their mentor. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I, I guess the the jury's out on that one until I feel like we <laughs> maybe move the ball a little bit more. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Have, have there been folks that that you would kind of look to in your career, your security career, and say, wow, that was. There was somebody that really helped me out, and there were those moments that people really kind of helped get you to where you had to be. Yeah, I mean, there are too many to count. I mean, all the way across the board from, you know, you know the, the boss that I had when I was in the Coast Guard who let me go to school in the afternoons, uh, you know, one day a week so that I could get my, you know, associate's degree at the time, a college professor that I met when I was uh, at community college that, just, you know, got me off the MCSC track and got me into Unix. Um, people that give me opportunities when my resume said I probably shouldn't have had the job, uh, but, you know, said, you know what, you probably could grow into it. And I've had a lot of those along the way. And, you know, a lot of people kind of, you know, pull you up along the way. And, uh, you know, we'll be forever grateful for those, those folks in doing that because, yeah, without that, I, I would not would not have achieved what I have at this point. So Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a trend that I've noticed with security that's been a little bit different than maybe some of the other areas of IT. There, there is definitely the, the camaraderie of giving back. And that when people always say, you know, how do I get into industry? It's like, Find something to give first, and then you'd be surprised how much comes back. Yeah, absolutely. And I th that's one of the things that's really interesting about security is I think it's one of the you know one of the few occupations that I know about. There might be plenty of others that you know you can really spend you know five hundred dollars on a set of computers and get on the internet and learn skills on your own if you really want to. That can get you a really good job. I mean, uh, you might the entry one might not be the, your favorite, but you know. You don't have to have a degree. There's no requirements for certification. If you can prove that you're, you know, knowledgeable in the space and you understand how things work and you can provide value in an organization, there's a lot of opportunity for you. And there's the barrier to entry is really desire and willingness to maybe jump into something you're not initially comfortable with. Yeah, so, yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's there, there's no, you know, we don't have a bar. We don't have, you know, any of those things that you know would keep you out of you know, be able to do, you know, be a cybersecurity professional. So. so when you kind of look at the industry now, is there a particular set of skills that you said, like, we really got to fill that gap, but we need more of that type of skills. Maybe not that type of person, it's not just about a headcount, but a particular set of skills that you think would, would help. Yeah, I mean, after spending a lot of time as a security, you know, analyst, uh, my background was mostly on like host-based security. I was never the world's best, you know, network security guy, uh, but, you know, learned a lot about like host-based intrusion prevention and, you know, host-based data loss prevention and, and like host security system hardening and as I look at the skill set that people are looking for in their security analysts, uh, it's less around kind of tools configuration and network and host, but starting to move a lot more towards what I would say are like DevOps skills. You need to understand, you know, cloud, you need to understand, you know, scripting and regex and data normalization and those skill sets are becoming much more uh, kind of highly uh, sought after uh, from a, just a, like an analyst and a security ops perspective uh, versus, you know, historically your system ad admin tr uh, transitioning into being a security yeah. person. I still think those people with that foundational understanding of how systems and networks and infrastructure work are your best security people, but you kind of have to layer that, that software development understanding and basic scripting skills on top of that, I, I think, to be really proficient at that role. Yeah, and we touched on a little bit about, you know, everybody says the cloud, but I mean, it's it has a lot of meanings to a lot of people, but ultimately it's, it's, it does take a lot of that underlying compute storage infrastructure puts it somewhere else. And what I found recently, I just did a migration because I'm a crazy person, decided to helm the migration into Azure and Office 365 for my organization, but then quickly found that was pretty easy. Once once we got there, the infrastructure admin stuff was, was 
gone. And then I was like, all of a sudden I said, I need DevOps people. I mean, we need to like, have that type of scripting and automation because once you remove that day-to-day -day keeping the lights on on servers, it becomes a whole different element, a different ballgame of trying to manage your infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, that abstraction layer is just, I mean, it, it's different. I mean, it's a different skill set. It's a different uh, con set of configurations, uh, different, you know, considerations around cost. I mean, your your cost is different. You just can't let it run. I mean, that's really where you incur your cost. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of differences, and, um, you know, I think it's, it's a different skill set. And do you see, you know, there being a, well, how, I guess, how would you see that the security folks around hardening those types of, you know, you said you come from, from you're probably going through the, the checklist of hardening guides for, for endpoints, but when it's a cloud system, does that change the game dramatically? Uh, I think the tenants are the same, right? I mean, reduce the, the amount of services that are running, you know, make sure that you're doing least privilege, you know, separation of two. The, the macro concepts are absolutely the same. Um, it's, you know, how you do it. How, you know, is it, how do you configure an EC2 instance versus, you know, Configuring a you know Windows 2000 server. I mean, it's it's the principles are the same, but the the method in which you do it is obviously different. So yeah, so yeah, there's one thing that I've seen definitely been in the trees is the amount of uh, the developers that stand up a lot of these infrastructures. They don't think about it, and the amount of things that get leaked out from from a general perspective that they don't manage their keys or user right management. It's just the basics that that tend to slip away when it's almost. Too easy, too easy to push a button and have a server stood up. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we used to give people grief when they had a server under a desk. Now we've just, you know, put a <laughs> server under somebody else's desk, but it has access to the internet. It's, uh, you know, it, like you said, it's, it's the same problem, somebody else's computer. Sure. So, yeah. So, where, where can people find you? Where, where are you on the internet? Uh, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, you know, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, uh, obviously swimlane.com. We have a community called secopshub.com, which is a kind of agnostic community around security ops and incident response. Um, you know, and obviously we're, we're pretty present at RMISC. We're at Snowfrock. Um, you know, if you're going out to the, the Denver events, uh, we're, should be somebody around. We just had somebody uh, present at the uh, OWASP event just recently. Oh, nice. So, yeah, try, try to get out as much as we possibly can. So. Awesome. Well, great. I'll be sure to put all that in the show notes, and I uh, greatly appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Bill. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.